welcome. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. If you have your Bible, go ahead and take it out to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, don't worry if you're like, oh man, that's all the singing we're going to do? No, we're going to like end the night with some cool stuff uh, as well too. So Philippians chapter 2, we've been talking through Philippians. Uh, we're going verse by verse, well, chunks of Scripture through Philippians together. Um, what, if you have your Bible, what does it say at the very top of this section of Philippians chapter 2? What, what does your Bible say? Anybody? Christ's example of humility. Christ's example of humility. That's right. That was kind of freaking you guys out a little bit, right? When I was up here praying earlier, I thought, man, I, am I the only one that hears music playing? You know, I'm telling you, this job's going to drive me crazy one day. And I thought I was there today. Philippians chapter 2, it says this. It says, Christ's example of humility. So, let me tell you what Mark chapter 3, verse 25 says. The Bible tells us this, that a house divided cannot stand. How many of you guys have heard that before? A house divided cannot stand. Now, why am I saying that passage of Scripture when it's very obvious at the top of chapter 2, the, the, the topic that we're looking at tonight, it says Christ's example of humility. Because tonight we're going to talk about spiritual unity. What do you guys know about spiritual unity? When I say spiritual unity, what comes to your mind? The Trinity, okay. There's unity involved in the Trinity. Yep, somebody else. What is, when I say spiritual unity, what comes to mind? A church, okay. Any particular church or just a church? This one, there we go, brown noser. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) this one. <laughs> we don't pay people here, you know. Well, they pay us. Um, a little, if you're Ryan. Um, <laughs> overwork, little pay. Um, a church, this one. Now, are all churches like this? Okay, because honestly, what we're talking about here, unity of a church is something that, that, that's in jeopardy a lot of times. Uh, division starts taking place. As a matter of fact, if you read any of the Pauline epistles, that's just a big word that means all the letters that Paul wrote, uh, what are those? Those are the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, uh, the uh, Ephesians, Galatians, uh, Romans, so forth and so on. I may be missing a few there. But in all of those, those are churches and regions. And if you look at all of those letters, Paul wrote about divisions in church. So obviously it's going to make sense that in Philippians, the, the church of Philippi, he's going to talk about divisions. Paul wanted everyone to be united. Why? What, what, what's, what's the good thing about a church that is a united front? It's stronger. What else? Better fellowship. Okay, let's do this. Let's stop thinking inward. Think outward. What's the good thing about a church that is united spiritually? You can reach more people. Absolutely right. You can reach more people. Now, is that what we're supposed to do? What, what, is, what is the purpose of the local church? The thing that you guys belong to right here. What's the purpose? Spread the news. Spread the news. What else? What else is the purpose of the church? Unite believers. Okay. What's your purpose? Let, let's put it personal. Not what's the purpose of this 
fictitious thing that we don't see out there. Look around the room. What is your purpose? What is the purpose of all of you guys? To be the hands and feet. To proclaim the gospel. To minister to people. To love. So forth and so on. That's why it's so invaluable for Paul to talk about this. Paul has such a passion for the church of Philippi. You, you've seen that in chapter 1 as, we've, as, as Ryan has started off with the greeting, all of the, all of the things that he said to them, of, of, of just how he, how he sees them, he's thankful for them. This is a church that was very involved in Paul's ministry. Uh, this is a church that Paul loved very much. Now, let's put me into this whole scenario. I've been with you guys for seven years. It's crazy. I don't think there's anyone in this room that was in youth ministry when I first came, were you? Were you guys? Maybe? Okay, y'all have just like taken a long time to get through high school. Because I came in, in 2010. Were you guys in high school then? Just started middle school. Okay, so you guys, our seniors this year, was, that was it. So we've watched you guys grow up. I understand what Paul's talking about when he talks about a passion, a love for these people. When I, when I see you guys in public, there's, there's a love, there's a, there's, there's a proud dad moment when I watch you guys kind of moving around in the community, when I watch you guys at cheerleading competitions, when you guys are, uh, now I may not be there, but when I see, like, you know, you guys win state, that, that's, that's a proud papa moment. Uh, when I see our wrestlers, because you're in wrestling season right now, when I see that you guys have won your matches and different things, basketball, when I get to spend uh, time with the girls that are playing basketball, uh, th- all these different things. These are, these are all kind of proud papa moments in soccer and so forth and so on and, and football. We're getting there. Uh, but all of these things I love. So I understand what Paul's saying. It, it, it breaks his heart when there's divisions in the church. Were there divisions in the church of Philippi? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, we won't read all of this, but false teachers are starting to come. So there's divisions that are working their way in. Chapter 3 in Philippians uh, talks about this. And also in chapter 4, you see that there's some divisions that start to take place within the church. People don't agree on certain things. As a matter of fact, two women in particular. And if you want to try to pronounce their name, go for it. Uh, but so Paul wanted everyone to be united. Listen to this quote here. Because unresolved disagreements reveal that there is a spiritual problem with their fellowship. Unresolved disagreements reveal that there is a problem with the spiritual fellowship, the health of the church. I go for a yearly checkup. At 42, I probably need to go more than, more than yearly. Uh, but I go for a yearly checkup. And when you get over 40, some things change. They're not really excited about going, to be honest with you. Um, but why do I do that? That way, my doctor... Can, can kind of put his finger on the pulse of my health and say, okay, this is how he's doing. This is, this is what's going on with it. Well, if he sees something wrong, he starts to take, take note of it. That's what Paul's doing here. He's keeping his hand on the spiritual well-being of those people. That way they'll see if there's anything going on. So Paul wants there to be unity. Now let's stop for a moment. There's a big difference between unity and uniformity. What is the difference? I want to hear from you before I, I tell you what we found. What's the difference between unity and uniformity? Okay, hold on. Will you elbow them that's sitting next to you? Thank you. Hey, guys. Catch me up here, okay? All right. So what's the big difference between unity and uniformity? Okay. 
Uh, so ride, ride with me on this. Check this out. Unity means this. Um, unity is, true spiritual unity comes from within. It's the matter of heart. Uniformity comes from pressure on the outside. You can put everyone in school in the same uniform. You can make everyone drive the same exact car that they, that they drive. You can feed everyone at school the same lunch. Everybody is doing the same thing. Are they a united people? No. It's called uniformity. In the military, they put every man and woman in the same type of, of uniform. In boot camp, you all wear the same type of uniform. Are you united? No, especially when you first get there. You're not. You're uniform, though. United means that it's spiritually from within. That's what's taking place. Paul knew this was a big thing because if you look back at Philippians 1.27, he says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm, or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul knew that being united was something that you had to stay on guard of. You had to always be watching what was going on around you. So that's why he wrote 127, and that's why we get to Philippians chapter 2. This is what theologians have said about Philippians chapter 2. They said that this right here, what we're about to read, is the most concise and practical teaching about unity in the whole New Testament. This is the most precise teaching about unity in the whole New Testament. So I, I think that hold some worth that we should take a look at this. So read with me if you can, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then we'll talk about verse 5 in a few moments. What do you see there? All talking about everyone being on the same page. So basically what Paul has given us here, he's given us the why, the what, and the how we can do spiritual unity. So that's what I want to look through tonight, real briefly. I want to look at the how, the why, and the what when it comes to spiritual unity. And I want to frame this out, and we want to use Jesus as the example. As we get towards the end, everything, especially when it starts talking about the how we can do this, we're going to put that side by side with what Jesus' life looks like. So let's start with the why. It says this. It says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, do you have encouragement from Christ? Absolutely. All of us do. If we sit in this room tonight and we're a believer, we're a follower, we're a Christian, whatever it is that you want to call it, we have encouragement from Christ. So what has Christ done for us? Well, everything. He's died. So each of you have encouragement in Christ. He has paid the penalty for your sins. So we have encouragement in Christ. Since he's done this, go back to verse 27, we should let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So if I'm going to live my life in a way that's worthy of the gospel, when it comes to spiritual unity, how do I do that? The rest of verse 27 says this, by being of one spirit and one mind, striving side by side. Think about this for a moment. If Christians can't even get along, what's appealing to lost people about being a Christian? Nothing. If we can't be on the same page, if we can't agree, if we can't put our differences aside and love each other and things that we'll talk about in a few moments, then there's no point. 
because what we're saying to the, to the world is that we are no different than you. So, why do we need spiritual unity? Because we have encouragement in Christ. Another reason of why we need to be united is because we have comfort from love. Now, let's talk about love for a moment. I'm not talking about the love that the world tells us. Love that is, it's an illusion that's built upon looks, wealth, how much someone loves me, what they're going to do for me. No, we're talking about the type of love that Jesus has gave for us, love that the Lord has given to unworthy sinners. Did any of us deserve the love that Jesus has showed us on the cross? Not at all. That's love. That's what God has shown us through Jesus. Okay, well, you're thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm not a lost person anymore. You know that God, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, every day he still shows those that are followers of him love and mercy and grace. So we do have encouragement from love. So if we have love, should not we also love other people? Now, and realize this is a love that's not based on gender. It's not based on the color of someone's skin. It's not based on how much money they have. It's not based on how little money they have. It's not based upon how nice someone is to me. It's not based upon the fact that if this person is a Christian versus if they're a Buddhist, a Muslim, uh, uh, whatever the case is, whether they're gay, whether they're straight, whether they like Hubba Bubba, or whether they like Big League Chew, whether they like mayonnaise, or if they're a mustard person. See, I trivialize all of those because I want to put sexuality in there as well, too, of homosexuality and all those things as well into the same thing because if you're not loving people because of choices that they make, then you're not loving people. This is a hard road to go down. As a matter of fact, this morning, I love, love when the Lord gives me opportunities to, to live the things out that I wrote. This morning, I had the opportunity to sit down at Swift and Finch with, with a guy here in town. He had some questions about women's role in church, because, you know, for the most part, women aren't pastors, different things like this. They don't teach, per se, uh, unless you're at PBN in different places. They're not deacons. So he, he, he had some questions. It's a guy that trusts me and will listen, and I, I was able to listen to his answers, too. But he had questions about women's role in church. He had questions about the way that Christians treat homosexuals, the way that Christians treat other people and the way that Christians in the world today appear to have a hate agenda to get the message of Christ across. Because he said, I never really hear what Christians are for. I only hear what they're against. We're not loving. We have encouragement in Christ. If we have encouragement in Christ, if we have love, we should love others as well too. Another reason why we should be united in one, as one is because we have participation, it says here, any participation in the Spirit, participation or fellowship in the Spirit. Now, all of us that are Christians, we have one common thing that lives inside of us. What is that called? I just gave you part of it. You're missing the first word, holy. Not holy crap, Holy Spirit. Thank you. And if you can't say that C word, don't say it. But the Holy Spirit right? We all have the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of each one of us. So should there not be some common things within us? We have participation or fellowship in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says. It says, by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews 
or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, you know what we did? We all drank the same Kool-Aid. Why is there not unity in that? Because it's the same spirit. It also goes on in Ephesians. Paul writes this to the churches of Ephesus. We should always be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. There's work. Guys, I can tell you this. Whether you're a guy or a girl, when you get to the age to where you're going to get married, let me tell you what, there is work to make and maintain a marriage that's happy and holy. Holy is what we go off of because holiness leads to happiness. There's work that takes place. It's not just something you fall into. You have to work at those things. You have to take time to spend with each other and talk through things. And I'll be honest with you, my wife's in the room. If I didn't say this, she'd call me a liar. I am not the, the best talker in the world. I loathe talking. Oh, I'm like, can we not just watch football, honey? But that's the reality of life. It takes work. To be united, Paul says this, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Another reason of why we should have spiritual unity is because it says this. It says that we if we have any affection and sympathy. Now, I know that sounds kind of weird, but realize those are two character traits, that of Christ, and we have those things. So all of that says this. If we have all of these qualities, every believer does, so if we have all of these qualities, then it makes sense that we should have spiritual unity, right? Of course. But why don't we? We'll get to that. So, Why should we have spiritual unity? We know that we should. So what does spiritual unity look like? He goes on to say this. First off, Paul puts in his little tidbit. Hey, this is why you should have spiritual unity, because you have encouragement in Christ. You have comfort from love. You have participation or fellowship in the Spirit. You have affection and sympathy. So since you have all of these things, complete my joy. Paul just adds that in. So that's the why. Here's what spiritual unity looks like. It says this in these next few verses, that we are of the same mind, we have the same love, we're in full accord and of one mind. Now, let's, let's break that down for just a moment. We have the same mind. Now, we'll talk about this in a few moments, but the same mind literally means that we have the same attitude. We like to act the same way about certain things. We'll talk about that in a few moments. John MacArthur says this, it literally means the same thing. To have the same mind literally means to think the same thing. He goes on to say, it means to actively strive to achieve common understanding and genuine agreement. A common understanding of what? God's Word. We'll talk more about that here in a few moments as well too. So what spiritual unity means that we should have the same mind, we should have the same love. Remember we talked about love earlier? Love equally. Love doesn't know any of those boundaries that we talk about. It doesn't matter if you're the skinny person or if you're the larger person or if you're a guy Hold that. That's a gift for you. Or if you're a girl, love is something that doesn't know any of those things. So that's what we're talking about when it means love. We should have the same love. That's what spiritual unity looks like. Also, it means this, being in full accord or united in spirit. Literally, it means this. We should have one soul. That takes us back to verse 27. Remember verse 27? It says this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you and you're standing firm, here it is, in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. See, that's the whole reason he wrote and continued his thought 
when we get to chapter 2 because he was making his point from verse 27 in this. So we should have one spirit. We should be grounded in God's word. We should be in full accord. John MacArthur, another quote that he has, I love it. It says this, no two Christians, because here's the thing. I know that you're all thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm not going to act and think and be the same way that every person in this room is because I'm different. I'm an individual. You're right. But you can still be united if you are. Listen to what MacArthur says about that. No two Christians, no matter what their level of spiritual maturity and knowledge of Scripture, will understand everything exactly alike. But if they are controlled by humility, which we'll talk about in a few moments, and love, They will be genuinely united in spirit. They will not allow inconsequential differences to divide them or hinder their service for the Lord. The guy that was sitting across from me today at this table at Swift and Fitch, we don't agree on everything. He knows that. I know that. But you know what we walked out of that room doing? We're on the same team. He may have a few different thoughts about some things than what I do. But we walked out of there as good of friends as we did when we walked in there. And we plan to meet every so often. Because I like to hear the other side of the coin. I may believe this way, but I like to hear why certain people believe certain ways. I like to talk to people that are Buddhist. I like to talk to people that are Muslim. I love to hear why they believe the way that they believe because it gives me a more holistic view of my beliefs. I like to hear both sides of the story. But we did not let things like MacArthur's talked about get out of hand. We're not on the same understanding of things, but it did not divide or hinder our service for the Lord at all. The fourth thing that he says in this of what does true spiritual unity mean, he just kind of goes back to the same thing. Be of one mind to have one purpose. So here's basically what Paul says when it comes to that. Spiritual unity truly means to have one heart, one soul, and one mind. That's called the body of Christ. My body has one heart. My body has one mind. And my body has one soul. Now, yes, I have hands that act differently than my feet do. I have a mouth that does not operate the way that my eyes do. There are differences in my body, just like there are differences with everyone in this room. But at the end of the day, I still have one heart, one mind, and one soul. I have one purpose. This student ministry should always have one purpose. It needs to have one heartbeat. It needs to have one mind. And it needs to have one soul. That's what spiritual unity looks like. Now, how do we do this? Well, let's keep going. And this is where we're going to start bringing Christ into this picture. How do we do this? It says to do this. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Let's stop there. Rivalry. We just had rivalry week last weekend. What does rivalry mean? We we talk about it all the time. So if we're not supposed to do anything out of rivalry, what does that mean? Do anything against each other? It's almost like a competition. We're competing for a prize. Guys, here's the thing. Do nothing out of rivalry. In other words, don't be selfish. This thing is not about me. Selfishness is the root to all other sins. 
Why? Because selfishness is rooted in a selfish heart. And it begins in our heart. So this being selfish is a bad, bad thing. Jesus was not selfish. Jesus, as a matter of fact, thought of others more than he thought of himself. Look at verses 5 and 6. This is what we're supposed to do. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was not selfish. As a matter of fact, Jesus was someone that, that served others above himself. And verse 5, we're going to start to open this up. It says this. talks about the mind of It says, sorry, it says, have this mind among yourselves. What is it that we said that mind means? This is what mind means. We talked about that in another one. Um, Christ had, to have the mind of Christ means that we are to exhibit the attitude of Christ. To have one mind means that our attitude, our actions are all in line with each other. It goes on to say this, um, that our attitude should be that of Jesus. In verse 6, it talks about, though he was in the form of God. What, what is the form of God? What does God look like? Does God have a form? Okay, what, what, is, what is the form of God? No, God is, God is a spirit. He has no form. He has no shape. Now, a lot of times we say the hand of God or, or the mouth of God. That's just for our finite minds to understand something infinite. We have to put physical features on God for us to be able to understand this. But God is spirit. So what is it talking about when it says here in this passage of Scripture that talking about Jesus who, though he was in the form of God? Here, form means an outward expression of an inward. It means an outward expression of an inward nature. In other words, how you are inside is going to what shows on the outside. That was Jesus. Was Jesus God? Yeah, the Trinity. So is Jesus going to act like you would think God would? Of course. Because when it says that he's the form of God, it says this, I want to find it, that he's the outward expression of the inward nature. So Jesus was not selfish at all. And then it goes on to say this, talking about um, how we can have this spiritual unity. It says, do not do anything from rivalry, or it says, don't be conceited. Now, I know we all know those conceited people, right? What does a conceited person look like? Not look like, act like. If you see somebody acting a certain way, and you say they're conceited, how are you describing them? What's that? Arrogant, sorry. Yeah, arrogant. Somebody said something over here. Self-centered. Yeah. Do nothing from conceit. As a matter of fact, the King James calls this empty conceit. This is the definition of conceit. Characteristics of false pride. What does false mean? It's an illusion. It's not really there. You have pride in something that does not exist. You being as awesome as you think that you are is not really something to be prideful in because what does it say about Scripture? In Scripture, Romans eleven twenty five, 25, Paul says this to the Romans that talking about prideful is being wise in your own estimation or being wise about yourself. And he goes on to say this to the Galatians, the churches at Galatia, he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It took me a long time before I got to this point in my life, but here it is. I'm nothing apart from Christ. Nothing. 
I run because God has given me legs. I run because God allows my lungs to work. I run because God has allowed me to have two eyes where I can see where I'm going. I love because Jesus first loved me. See, I'm, I'm nothing apart from God. When I was your age, you know what I was? Everything. I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And somebody needed to tell me otherwise because that's what I thought. But I was not a Christian then. Even when I was a Christian, I still thought that I was something, that I could do something, you know? Can't. I can't do anything apart from Christ, apart from God allowing me to do these things. I can plan my own ways, yes, but it's God who's going to direct me. That is the most freeing thing, guys, right here. Hey, Brooks, that is the most freeing thing that you can do in your life is get to a point where you realize I'm nothing. This is what he's talking about. Don't be prideful. Jesus was not prideful. As a matter of fact, Jesus was a what? A servant. It's called a doulos, a doulos which is a, a bondservant. It says this in verse 7, But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. There's that word form again. What does form mean? Remember that? We talked about this a moment ago. Form means what? Outward expression of the inward nature. Jesus didn't just pretend to be a servant on the outside. His heart was that of a servant. That's why it exhibited on the outside, because it was just an expression of an inward nature of how he truly was. What does it look like? If you're grieving, if you're sad, if you're hurt, if your heart's broken, what is it that you're going to do? Cry. The outward expression reveals the inward nature of what's going on. That's what we're talking about when we say form. That's what he's saying. Now, um, the four gospels show that he served. Listen to Matthew 20, 28. It says this, even as the Son of Man came to be served, I'm, I'm sorry, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was not prideful, but instead, Jesus exhibited this next point. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Was Jesus humble? Yes. Humble does not mean weak. Now, in the Greek culture, they thought that being humble meant that you were weak, but that's not what it means. Being humble is something totally different. Um, Jesus describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as gentle and humble in heart. Humble is the opposite of pride. So if we're not supposed to be prideful, but if we're supposed to be more like Jesus, then we're going to have a heart of humility. Why? Because God has shown us love, and it compels us to be humble. We're almost done. Another way, another way that we can have spiritual unity is to look not only to our own interests, is what it says. In other words, don't look out for self. We shouldn't look out just for ourself. Um, Jesus didn't do this again. Also, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was a man that didn't just look out for himself. He sacrificed. Remember, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this in Matthew 26, 39. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Was Jesus super excited about going to the cross for us? Not at all. I mean, as God, he knew that's what he had to do. 
but also as 100% man, Jesus was grieving because of what was about to come. But Jesus still put others above himself. And he even asked in prayer, when it says he fell on his face, and he asked, let this cup pass from me. But if not, then your will be done instead of my will. Jesus put other people above. Now here's the thing. I know that a lot of us in this room, we like to serve. And there are some people in our community that like to serve. And there are some Christians that like to serve. Only if serving doesn't cost them anything. We're ready. Oh, wait. You mean I got to I got to give something up? Yeah. Because if you're going to go serve, you know, you've got to take time away from this. Uh, I, I just, I thought we were going to do it on, on this day to where I had nothing planned. Because I had nothing planned already, so I, I was, man, I, I'm ready to serve. Well, but that wouldn't work with them. Today's the day that we have to do it. I can't. I've got a date. Now, I'm not saying that you cancel your whole plans and that your whole life revolves around the local church. I'm not saying that at all. But there are some times that serving costs. As a matter of fact, if you want to go to Kenya and serve, it costs about $3,400 and 10 to 11 days of your life and a lot of intestinal issues. It cost. It was a sacrifice, brother, wasn't it? But that's, but that's what people do. People want to serve, but they want to have the Burger King. I want it my way. What about God's way when it comes to serving? Jesus is someone that served, and did, it, did, did what Jesus do, did it cost? Well, yeah, let's look at verse 8. It says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus paid a cost for us. I love this quote. I don't know where I got it from, but I still threw it in here. One of the paradoxes of the Christian life is the more we give, the more we receive. Let me say that again. One of the paradoxes of the Christian life is the more you give, the more you receive. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about you giving. The more you give, the more you receive. Lastly, it's this when it comes down to how we can have spiritual unity. Not only, should we, not only should we not be selfish, do nothing from rivalry, do nothing from conceit, that we should um, be humble, look to other people's interests. Lastly, it says this, uh, I'm sorry, not look to our only interest, but lastly, it says this, we should also look to the interest of others. Paul tells the Galatians this, that we should bear one another's burdens. You know that you're made for community? You know that when you sit in here tonight, you know that problem that you have? Right now you're thinking of it. And it's the thing that you don't want anyone else to know about because it's your problem and you're going to own it. Guess what? You're not made to carry that stinking thing by yourself. You're made to carry that in community. Maybe you sit in here tonight and you're like, bro, I don't have any problems right now. Awesome. You know what you have? Free hands to help carry somebody else's problem. Sounds ridiculous, but trust me, we do it all the time. What does it look like? Well, you guys text us. Hey, I've got this issue going on. 
Awesome. Here's some advice. Let me pray for you. You know what we're doing? We're shouldering that thing together. And you're like, well, I don't want to tell you guys what I've got going on. Awesome. Tell the people sitting next to you. Tell the people that are in school with you that are the same age. Now, I'm not saying get advice from each other because you only want godly, wise counsel. So if you ask someone their opinion, it needs to come from a godly, wise source. Some of you guys are. Some of your friends are not. They're going to tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. But when it comes to carrying each other's burdens, you're not made to do this thing alone. That's what Paul was talking about here. Uh, Jesus' whole purpose of humiliation and exaltation was for the glory of God. The whole thing that Jesus did on this earth was not about him. It was about the Father. Remember what he says here? Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. In this hour, how can your life glorify the Father? How can you be united? How can you walk out of here with one mind, with one soul, and with one heart? The only way that we do it is by continuing to model our life after Jesus. Thank you.